Well, we are going to step into the Word together as part of our worship today, and just ask you if you wouldn't mind to grab the, grab that bulletin that you received, pull that little note page out of there, and if you would take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 19, which was read for us a few moments ago, that would be great. If you got out of the house without your Bible today and you'd like one, just raise your hand and Ron will be glad to supply you. And I could ask you as well, just as a courtesy to all of us, think about that cell phone that you brought with you and maybe put it on silence uh, for our time together so that it's not a distraction. These devices are great. We love them. They're called smartphones, but they don't recognize church services. So, um, yeah. Well, today uh, is, uh, this Sunday is traditionally known, as we already talked about it, as Palm Sunday, the day that Jesus presented himself to Israel as her long-foretold, long-anticipated Messiah. This day marks the beginning of what is referred to within church circles as Passion Week or Holy Week, the week leading up to Resurrection Day, Easter Sunday, which we'll be celebrating one week from now, right this moment, celebrating the resurrection. So I'd like to, like to ask you this question. Have you given much thought to your preparation for the resurrection celebration? Have you given thought to that? You know, guys, how many of you were in the Boy Scouts growing up? You, you did Boy Scouts. Well, we got a few. There's a few hands going up there. What's the Boy Scout motto? Be prepared. Always be prepared, right? Ladies, not all ladies, but many, perhaps you feel like you can, can't get out of the house comfortably unless you do what first? Get your purse, <laughs> but do a little bit of preparation for that, right? Some wouldn't even think of venturing out without preparing themselves first. I have a friend who is a pilot and um, before he climbs into the cockpit of his airplane, he goes through, in fact, uh, law requires him to go through a series of specific checks and rechecks and overchecks and underchecks and doublechecks. And, and then he doesn't, he doesn't take off. He doesn't even think about taking off until he has carefully prepared both himself and his airplane. High school seniors will very soon be taking their college exen entrance exams, their ACTs, their, their uh, uh, SATs, and those are tests that you don't just walk in and take, right? You have to do what? You have to study. You have to get ready. You have to prepare. And in fact, if you don't, that's not going to go probably very well for you. You have to study and be prepared. And there are some who, who shouldn't even be spoken to in the morning until they've had at least their second cup of not decaffeinated coffee. We're not prepared to face the day without that first of all. And if that's you, don't raise your hand. We <laughs> would just as soon not know. You know, if we stop and think about it, church family, there is very little that we do that we don't have to prepare for. Whether we're talking about work or play, staying close to home or going far away, just hanging out with friends or doing something totally by ourselves, even something as routine or eating and sleeping every day, it requires some preparation from us. We all have different ways that we, we prepare, but prepare we must. 
So let me go back to this question one more time. How much thought have you given to preparing for Easter, for Resurrection Day, a week from now? I'm not sure that many folks these days, even devoted Jesus followers, ask this question, how should I prepare for Easter? We do a great job of preparing for Christmas, don't you think? We do. It seems like we we do a great job of that. Christmas stuff is in the stores three months before December 25th. There are indications everywhere that something special is about to happen. We hang wreaths. We do advent calendars. We light candles. We buy and decorate Christmas trees. We carefully think about the gifts that we're going to purchase and how we're going to wrap those gifts. And we string enough lights to make Edison happy, right? Very happy. But Easter, not so much. And yet, church family, for us as Christians, Easter is actually the most significant day of the year. Would you agree with me on that? Yeah, I think we would. Why do we say that? Well, it's because this this moment that we'll be celebrating a week from today remembers the central event of all human history. The day that Jesus rose from the dead, making eternal life possible for you and me. Now, Christmas is important, and it is special. God, from a place of incomprehensible love, knew that the only only way to address the sin issue in our lives was to put on flesh and come into our world, into, into the world of sinful humanity, and sinlessly live so that he could die on a cross and stand in our place, put on skin and bone, live in our world sinlessly, and then die for us. So Christmas and the cross are absolutely essential to our salvation. But boy, church, if, if Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, if he dies on a cross for our sin, but he remains lifeless in a grave, then our sin debt has not actually been paid, has it? Death wins, sin triumphs. And eternity separated from God in hell remains our future if there is no resurrection of Jesus. It's the centerpiece of all that we are. As the Apostle Paul declares in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if Jesus is not risen from the dead, then we, you and I, faith followers of the Lord Jesus, are the most to be pitied of all the inhabitants of the earth, Paul says. Why? Well, because we've given our our lives to and we've trusted our eternities to a lie, if Jesus be not risen. Resurrection Day, Easter Day, is the greatest day in the Christian year. So, again... How might we better prepare for this very, very special time? Personally, how how might we better prepare personally as, as, as families within the life of our church and as a church family? How might we better prepare? Let's give some effort and energy to chasing down just a few answers to that question this morning. And as you look at that little note page that you have, perhaps we can even use 
the occasion of Jesus' Palm Sunday triumphal entry into Jerusalem to help supply us with the answers to this question. Not all the answers, but a few answers. This moment in Jesus' story is going to do double duty today. We get to remember what happened on this day that we call Palm Sunday, and we're also going to be challenged from it to consider our own Easter preparation plans. So earlier, Lance read for us the Palm Sunday account out of Luke 19. Your Bible is open to that place in this moment. And this moment is so significant, church, that the Holy Spirit makes sure that all four gospel writers bring it to us. Every one of them talk about this moment. And we'll borrow from them as we move through, not just stay in Luke, but move around to the other accounts as well because they share other information with us. On this day, one week before Jesus' resurrection, on a Sunday, he very purposefully and deliberately presents himself to Israel as her long-awaited Messiah, the fulfillment of so many of God's Old Testament promises. Jesus is wildly and excitedly welcomed by tens of thousands who are in Jerusalem on this particular Sunday to celebrate the Passover, the most significant of all of the Jewish holidays. However, within a few days of this moment, this amped up crowd realizing that Jesus has no intentions of leading a rebellion to overthrow Roman rule in Judea, for that's what they thought the Messiah would do. He would be a political liberator. When it becomes clear that he is not going to do that, well, then they quickly turn on him. And by Friday of this week, they are cheering for his death. But on Palm Sunday, the atmosphere is very different. And within the folds of this amazing moment in Jesus' story, we find some valuable hints for how to prepare for Resurrection Day. Three ways that you and I can effectively and meaningfully prepare for Easter. And the first of these is found in the example of the disciples on Palm Sunday as you watch them in simple obedience do what Jesus says to do. Luke chapter 19, we'll pick it back up again at verse 28. Though we've read this uh, by way of introduction, let's let's refresh our, our minds once more. And when he, Jesus, had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat yet. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. And so those who were sent uh, away were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, "Why are you untying the colt?" And they said, "The Lord has need of it." And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And we'll stop right there for a moment. Jesus on this Sunday morning sends two of his disciples on what must have seemed to them like a rather strange mission. Go to this little village up the road, untie a donkey and her colt that that you're going to come upon and and bring them to me. Now, none of the the, the gospel writers tell us who these two were 
that Jesus tapped for this assignment. Maybe it was one of the brother pairs, perhaps Peter and Andrew, or perhaps James and John. We, we don't know who the two were. The other thing we don't know is what the two talked about on the way to do this thing. Now, if it had been me, I probably would have said to my partner, you really think we should untie somebody else's colt and just take it? Uh, you think maybe this is a test? Jesus is putting us to some kind of a test? Do you really think the owner's going to just let us walk away with his property? What if someone takes a swing at us when we try to do that? Jesus didn't tell us what to do then. You know, often we tend to read the Bible as if it were a play and all of the characters have read the script. They know what's coming. But these guys don't know what's coming. No more than you and I know what the rest of this day is going to hold. They're that, they're that clueless as to what's unfolding. And yet these disciples, whoever they were, these two, they simply do what Jesus asked them to do. They obey. They went, they find the donkey and her colt outside on the street, tied at a doorway. And as they're untying it, they, the owner asks, what are you guys untying my colt for? And they answer as Jesus told them. And he says, oh, okay. That's it. That's it. And when they brought the animal to Jesus, it says they threw their cloaks over the colt and Jesus took a seat on this this little animal. They had no clue where all of this was going, and apparently they didn't need to know. They simply did what Jesus said to do, without debate, without discussion. And Matthew, in his parallel account of all of this, in Matthew 21, verses 4 through 6, adds this. Now, all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. And look at the result of that. Their simple obedience meant that they participated in the fulfillment by Jesus of a 500-year-old prophecy. Zechariah chapter 9, Zechariah 9, 9 says this, 500 years before this day, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 500 years before. In other words, the disciples' simple obedience brought Jesus great glory as he fulfills the word of God. And then Mark, in his presentation of this same moment, writes these words in Mark eleven eight, And many spread their cloaks on the ground, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Now this word Hosanna, it's the Hebrew word that means save now, deliver now. 
Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Deliver us. Save us. And that's what the crowd is shouting. Hosanna. Save us. They were quoting from Psalm 118, a psalm loaded with messianic expectation. And so, the road into the eastern gate of Jerusalem is awash in the sounds of praise and singing and shouting, all of it directed at Jesus. Hosanna, save us, blessed is the king who comes. But I would ask you, church family, let's not forget that what, what it is that precedes all of this adoration and all of this praise of Jesus is a simple act of obedience on the part of two of his disciples. Go, find the donkey and bring it here. And that's exactly what they did, these two. All in all, these two faithful disciples, I believe, serve as a great example and a challenge for you and me all of time, all the time as we do all of our life, but especially so as we move into this amazing Easter week. We truly could do no better, I would suggest, than to follow the example of these two unknowns who, though they had no way to know what the future would hold and what their actions would bring about, they simply obeyed. They obeyed Jesus as devoted followers. We could do no better than that as part of our preparation for Easter week. Agreed? Just do what Jesus says. Now, I am 99.9% sure that our obedience, yours and mine, this week won't involve retrieving a donkey. Maybe, but not likely, right? Not likely. In truth, only you and your Lord really know what your obedience is going to look like this week. Only you and your Lord are going to know what your obedience is going to require of you this week. But the question will be, just as it was for those two disciples, will I obey? Will I do what my Lord asks me to do this week? Will I be obedient to him? As part of my, my just living for him, but also preparing for his resurrection celebration. Brothers and sisters, if we want to get the most out of this week of resurrection celebration, I would suggest that it begins with obedient living. One day, Jesus asked a, a most relevant and penetrating question of his followers. In Luke chapter 6, verse 46, you might remember this moment. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Isn't that a isn't that a great question, a most reasonable question for Jesus to ask? It really is. Am I your Lord? Then, then do what I say. That's reasonable. If Jesus says it, we do it. We call it obedience. Now, to put some practical legs to this, what this might look like, for us going into Easter week? Let me just throw out a few questions for us to wrestle with. Some are going to hit maybe close to home. Some won't, but here's some thoughts. Has the Holy Spirit, for example, been nudging your spirit, saying to you that you must forgive someone who has hurt you? 
perhaps wounded you very deeply. And he's asking you to give that person and your wounds over to him and trust him to take care of that for you. Is he asking you to forgive them as he has forgiven you, but you don't want to do that? You want to hold on to this. The question really is, would you obey? Will you obey him? Does that need to happen? Is there something that you have been worrying about? We don't worry as Christians ever, do we? No, never, no. Is there something that you have been worrying about and fretting over to such a degree that it is actually robbing you of the joy of your Christian life? You are worrying about this thing, whatever it is. It robs you of sleep at night. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, do not worry. Do not be anxious. But this tireless tormentor won't let you go. Is this an obedience issue? Giving that to him? Is he asking you to give up something, something that you really like, but it's really not helping you? It's not deepening your relationship with Jesus. In fact, it's, it's, it's actually robbing you of time with Jesus, whatever it is. It's not that it's a sinful thing. It's just a thing. But you're resisting letting go of it. Is it an obedience issue for you? Is he saying that there's a person or a family that you and he know and, and he wants you to help this person? He's supplied you with the means and the ability to help them, but you really don't want to because you really don't like that person. Is Jesus asking you to obey him and help them? Is Jesus by his word and by his spirit asking you to take something on that you've been putting off and you've been putting it off because you are afraid? You're afraid. Is your fear a reflection, perhaps, of your lack of confidence in him to supply all that you need, even though he's promised to do that in Second Peter chapter 1? I'll give you everything you need for this life. But you're afraid. Is your fear preventing you from being obedient to what he's asking you to do? Is there something that you're supposed to be saying no to in your life right now because it is sin? But you're saying yes to it and it's doing a number on your relationship with your Lord. Your prayer life's being impacted. There's no joy. There's guilt. And it's eating you up. And you know that it is an obedience issue, but you keep on doing this thing. This is what preparing for Easter might look like. Obeying what Jesus says. Or, or has the Lord perhaps been pressing upon your heart and your mind for some time that what you really need to do is stop resisting his invitations to, to come to his son and humbly step into a faith relationship with him. Has he been saying, stop trusting in yourself to be good enough to merit God's forgiveness and heaven? Has he been bringing his offer of salvation to you many, many times? 
in many different ways over a long period of time. And this moment right now, as I am bringing it forward one more time, is just one more example of him inviting you into relationship with him, but you are resisting. Is Jesus asking you to stop running from him, to repent, to give up that old way of self-trust and fall at the foot of his cross and believe in him? Is that what obedience would look like for you? Is to give him your life. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Such a reasonable question for Jesus to ask of us. Yes, church? Yeah. Am I your Lord? Well, then do what I say. And as it did that Sunday 2,000 years ago, I think we'll be amazed at how simple this act of obedience, though it's a simple act, it would bring great joy to us as we move into the remembrance of Jesus' resurrection. Just do what he says. Again, verse 8 of Mark 11. Many spread their cloaks on the road. Others spread leafy branches that they cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed after were shouting, Hosanna, save, deliver. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. One surefire way to prepare our hearts and our minds for an amazing resurrection day is to do what Jesus says. It's not rocket science, is it? No. A second great way to prepare, if you flip your note page over this morning, is to feel what Jesus feels. Feel what Jesus feels. Now, if we return to Luke's account of the Palm Sunday drama one more time, we read that as Jesus made his way toward Jerusalem, riding on the donkey, the people were cheering and they were laying their clothing on the ground in front of him and they were waving these palm fronds, which historically symbolized for them liberation and freedom and life and joy, a tribute to to all that the Messiah would bring when he came. Interestingly, in the future, this is a sidebar note, by the way, in heaven, people from all nations and languages, we are told, are going to be waving palm branches before the throne of God and praising him. This is a little bit of a foretaste here in this moment. We read about that, by the way, in Revelation chapter 7. But like the saying goes, every party has a pooper, right? And so it is here at the Palm Sunday parade for King Jesus. Luke tells us that some from the ranks of Israel's religious establishment, they step out of this crowd that is cheering and crying Hosanna and laying their cloaks down and waving their palm branches. These religious leaders step out of the crowd and they confront Jesus in verse 39 and they say, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, If these were silent, the very stones would cry out. In other words, Jesus says, in this moment, there cannot not be rejoicing. It's a double negative, but it works. The king of all kings is presenting himself to his people. If the people are silent, the rocks are going to start cheering, Jesus says. It's quite a statement, isn't it? 
And then comes verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Something happens on the ride into Jerusalem for Jesus that often gets overlooked in our telling of the Palm Sunday story. A detail that seems to get swallowed up really by this great crowd of people and and all the shouts and the emotion and the excitement of the moment. And yet there it is right there on our Bible page in black and white and clearly declared, verse 41, and when Jesus drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Only Luke records this important detail. Matthew, Mark, and John don't mention it, but it's not going to escape our notice here this morning. It was back in 1993 that Lisa and I were able to travel to Israel, and we stood on the Mount of Olives just to the east of Jerusalem, the direction from which Jesus comes on this Sunday morning. We looked across the Kidron Valley at uh, at the eastern wall and the Temple Mount and the golden dome of the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And when you see Jerusalem in person, in this way, lying out before you, it's quite a moving sight. Jesus would have seen a different cityscape than what Lisa and I saw, but, but not entirely different from this hill. One afternoon, I had a chance to walk down alone from the Mount of Olives down the same road that Jesus would have taken on this Palm Sunday morning. And I walked down this road in late afternoon, and as I walked, I reflected on, still remember it very clearly in my mind, reflected on Jesus riding on a donkey down this road with the crowds and the palm branches and everything. And at one point, Along this road, there were workmen who were repairing the wall. In fact, the wall that you see here. They were repairing this wall, and they'd made a pile of discarded rock. And and I bent down, and I picked up a piece of rock from this location. And I picked up, specifically, I looked for this piece of rock that would kind of have a tear shape to it. Because I wanted to remember that Jesus wept as he rode into Jerusalem that morning. And I wanted to remember that he said, if, if the people don't cheer, the rocks will cry out. And so I, I actually wrote Luke 19.40 on the other side, and, and this rock sits on a shelf in my office, and it just reminds me of this very special moment. It's there to remind me really that Jesus cried, that he wept on Palm Sunday. As a matter of fact, church family, the Greek word 
Luke uses here that we translate as wept, it signifies much more than just a little tear kind of appearing in the corner of your eye. This is the word for gut-wrenching, whole body involved, deep sobbing that a person might express, for example, at the, at the graveside of a loved one. This, this, this deep, uncontrolled heaving. It's the word used of Mary's sobs at the tomb of her brother Lazarus in John 11. It's the same word. It's the word used to tell us how, how Peter wept bitterly after he had denied his Lord three times and the cock crowed, the rooster crowed. Do you remember that? It's that word. It's the word chosen to describe Mary Magdalene crying outside of the tomb of Jesus on resurrection morning before she knew that he was risen. And so as we envision Jesus in this moment, people everywhere cheering and clamoring for him, see him. See him with your your mind's eye weeping with heaving sobs for his people, the Jewish people. Not for himself, not because he knows the cross will be his, his moment on Friday, but weeping over Israel because he knows that she's going to reject him. See that. She can only envision a political deliverer and not a deliverer who will liberate her from sin's bondage. When Jesus makes it clear he's not leading a political rebellion to overthrow Roman rule, these cheering masses are going to turn on Jesus and hand him over to be executed. And so he weeps. When everyone's having a party on Palm Sunday, Jesus is filled with compassion for the lost sheep of Israel. They didn't realize their own spiritual need, nor could they see that their deliverer was in their midst in that very moment. Jesus weeps bitterly. And so I would say to us, might we use Jesus as an example of how we might prepare better for this week and for Resurrection Day? We can do no better than to feel what Jesus feels. Let our hearts be broken for those who are without a Savior today. Let our hearts be be feeling the compassion with which Jesus looked on people who don't know him and are destined to enter into a Christless eternity without him to look upon our community and feel what Jesus feels. Talk about a great way to prepare for Resurrection Day. Feel what Jesus feels. And perhaps we could even more fully enter into Jesus' experience if you were determined to be part of the service that we're going to have here on Friday night that Clint and Lance talked about earlier, Good Friday service, 6 o'clock here at the church. If you've never been to this service before, It's a service like none other that we have in our entire year as a church family. The sanctuary is dark, and we slowly and we reverently move through the crucifixion of Jesus, seeking to emotionally connect with the agony of our Lord as he becomes sin for us and dies. If we desire 
to prepare for resurrection morning well, this would be a great way to do that, to feel what Jesus feels. And when he drew near the city, he wept over it. So one way to prepare for this Easter is to do what Jesus says. A second way to do that is to feel what Jesus feels. And then taking our cues from the Palm Sunday story one more time here, a third way to prepare is to share Jesus with others. If we return to the conclusion of the Palm Sunday story in Matthew, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21, verses 10 and 11, we read this. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was what? Stirred up. That's an understatement. Saying, who is this? And the crowds said, oh, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. When Matthew says that the city was stirred up, he uses a Greek word, sio, sio, from which we get our English word, seismic. Yeah. What do we call an earthquake, we Californians? A seismic event, right? Yeah. Things get all shaken up. It's the same word that Matthew's going to use in chapter 27, verse 51, when he says that at the moment that Jesus dies on the cross, the earth shakes and the rocks break up. Sio. Stirred up. On this Palm Sunday, the city was in a state of upheaval because of Jesus. He made a difference that people could see and they could sense. And he caused them to question, who is this? They were all stirred up. I wonder today if many who do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior and, and they're, waiting, they're just waiting to see if Jesus really is a difference maker. And in order for that to happen, they're going to have to see Jesus where? In us. They're waiting to see Jesus in us. They're looking at us and they're wanting to see if there really is something to this God thing. They're waiting to see if he really does care. They're waiting to see if, if, if we really we who fill the churches and sing the songs and we pray and we claim to know him and all of that to see if we are really any different from the rest of the people they know. They're looking to be stirred up, perhaps. They want to know, is he worth pursuing? Should I get to know him better? They're watching you and me, and I wonder if they should see Jesus, if we consistently do what he says, and if we feel what Jesus feels, perhaps they'll be compelled to ask, who is this Jesus that you follow? And why do you follow him? Who is this that you say you trust? What's he about? 1 Peter 3.15 at the bottom of your note page, which we looked at a few weeks ago in our study of 1 Peter, which we're doing right now. This verse says, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord, always be, what's the next word, church? Prepared. <laughs> Prepared. 
Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. What better way for us to prepare for Resurrection Sunday than to be ready at any moment to tell a friend, a neighbor, a family member, a classmate, a co-worker about Jesus, and perhaps even to invite these friends to come and share Easter with us. What better way to prepare for Easter than to feel Jesus' compassion for the lost and then be bold to invite them to hear who Jesus is and what he has done for them. Maybe do that on a Friday evening with you here. Maybe do that at a sunrise service out at the point next Sunday morning. And then maybe join you here for brunch and church. There is someone around each one of us right now. There is someone who is sincerely wondering, who is this? Just like they were on Palm Sunday. Who is this? They honestly want to know. And you might be the one who could tell them. Did you know that surveys indicate that the majority of people who don't go to church, who haven't experienced new life in Jesus, give the same reason when they're asked why they don't go to church? You know what they say? No one ever asked me. No one ever asked me. Someone skeptically says, is that true? Is that a true statistic? Well, church family, there's only one way to really find out, right? What is that way? To ask somebody. By the way, it is a true. It is true. It is a true statistic. So, so, so let's prepare for this Easter by doing what Jesus says, by feeling what Jesus feels. And if we do that well, then that would naturally lead into us perhaps being able to share Jesus with others. And so I would ask you to ask the Holy Spirit to make this a focused prayer this week, to ask the Holy Spirit to give you a person or a family that you could invite to some of the things that are happening this week here. No pressure, no guilt trips, no, just a simple invitation. Would you like to come with me and celebrate Resurrection Sunday with me? What's the worst they can say? No, right? But they might say yes. And when they say yes, don't act surprised. Okay? Really? You're kidding. You really do want to go? Don't do that. <laughs> and what happens after that? They say yes and they come with you. That's not up to you anymore. That's up to the Lord, isn't it? What happens after that? However, what might happen is the same thing that happened to you at some point in your life in the past. They would discover that Jesus is in fact God in the flesh who loved them so much that he died in their place, paid their sin debt, rose from the dead, and offers them eternal life as a free gift. That's what you discovered. That's what they may discover. And that will then be for them and for us an Easter to remember. Right? Let's pray together, church. Let's pray.
Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the gift of your word this morning, and thank you for giving us some moments to consider together some of the details from Palm Sunday. We're so grateful that uh, this moment in the story of you, Lord Jesus, is not lost to us, that it has been preserved by all four gospel writers. Thank you. It is a special day for us, and it marks the beginning of an amazing week. We so want to be ready for this week in heart, in mind, in spirit, in body. We just touched on three possible thoughts here for how we better prepare, but there's so many more things that could be said. Thank you. Thank you for challenging us this morning. And Lord, I pray for each one of us in this room because we each one do have somebody in our circle that we could invite to share this moment with us, this time. Give us the courage to do that. Give us the name, the family, however you'd like to do that. We're going to trust you for that gift. All glory to you as we move into Easter week as the Bible Church family. We pray these things in Jesus' strong name. And all God's people said, amen Amen and amen. Let's stand together, church.